From what I understand, I have 35 minutes per chapter. That's what I heard. So y'all better pray. If you, if you say amen, I might get out of here a little bit quicker. We'll, <laughs> so, let's, uh, let's take a few moments. We want to uh, read the passage, but we want to just, uh, as, we, you know, as you're here, as you're listening, we want to keep our pastor in prayer as he is, and the uh, pastoral interns are coming back from Georgia for a conference they were at, so remember to do that. Um, and as he's in, in his absence, we just want to continue to honor the Lord, and we're grateful for the word that God has given us this morning. Uh, First Samuel, First Samuel chapters 4, 5, and 6, we're actually going to read verses 1 through 11 in chapter 4, and chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. And, and as an overarching guide to our thoughts, I want to talk to you today about honoring the providence of God, right? Honoring the providence of God. Let's look at the passage. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the Lord sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were, were, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A god has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves of the Hebrews as they've been slaves to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And then 1 Samuel chapter 6 verses 7 through 9. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke. And yoke the cows to the cart, but take the calves home, away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it in a box at its side, the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done this the great harm to us. But if not, then we shall know now that it is not his hand that struck, to, struck us, but it happened to us by coincidence. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father God, uh, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for starting us off with giving us revelation and illumination that you only can provide, Father God. I pray that today you would open your mouth to speak to us, Lord, and I pray that you would use my heart, my mouth, my hands, everything, Lord, to to give you honor this morning. I pray that uh, you know where each person is this morning, Father God, and I pray that you'd meet each person where they are. And Father, if it be your will, we would pray that you would draw some to to know you, Father, uh, in Jesus Christ. We pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, there, there are times throughout history where both believers and unbelievers have something that to me is strangely, eerily in common. It's, it's, it's uncanny that it happens to believers and unbelievers. And, and this passage in 1 Samuel, these passages in 1 Samuel tell us uh, what they are. It demonstrates quite well what it is that believers and unbelievers both have in common sometimes on a regular basis, and it has happened throughout the course of history. The reality that both believers and unbelievers have in common sometimes is that we all, no matter how close you are to God or how far away, from you, are, you, far away you are from God, we all tend to attempt at times to use God to fulfill our purposes. That's a hard truth. I know we don't like to see it that way, but it is true. Believers and unbelievers alike want to use God to fulfill our purposes. And we can know that we're doing so. He shows us how we do that in 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 6. He shows us, first of all, we act before we pray. Now, I just read uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. He says we act before we pray. Verse 1 says that Israel went out to battle. But it does not say they asked the Lord whether they should go out to battle. And you'll recall last week in chapter 3, verse 1, where Pastor Ben preached to us that Samuel was a young minister in the word. But the the Bible tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, that the word of the Lord was rare. However, at the beginning of chapter 4 that we're reading now, the Bible reads this. It says, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. That is, God was speaking to Samuel, and Samuel was speaking to the rest of all Israel. So there were words from God by now, and there were men of God who were hearing the word by now, but there was no inquiry of God. Anybody know what that's like in their own life? No hands. It's just me. Just me. I'm the only one who moved without, it's just me, Lacey. I'm the only one who moved sometimes without asking God first. That's just me. That's, that's okay, okay. I, I, that's, that's just me, right? Uh, okay, sometimes I act before I pray. Not you. Amen. All right. Um, therefore, our first lesson is summed up in this declaration. Before we act, we must pray. That's a simple, that's something that God laid out for us simply here. Before we act, we must pray. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, he said, people should always pray and never stop praying, never quit. And I love what the Puritan preacher John Bunyan says, this writer of Pilgrim's Progress. He says, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. 
You can do more than pray after you pray, but you cannot and should not do more than pray until you pray. That's what John Bunyan said. Prayer, he also said this. I like this. He says, um, pray often. He says, he says um, pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. I'll say it again. Before we act, we must pray. One thing we do is we act before we pray. Another thing we do, God's people and people who are not God's, we're willing to take the affirmation of people over the word of God. Verse 4 says that Hophni and Phinehas were with them. Uh, Them being priests, Hophni and Phinehas offered a false validity to what God may have wanted. John Bunyan has another statement on this. He's a a Puritan preacher. You can go read Pilgrim Progress. Uh, He lived... He lived hundreds of years ago, but he, ha- he seemed to capture it. He says, the reason why Christians in this day are at such a loss to some things is that they are contented with what comes from man's mouth without searching and kneeling before God to know of him the truth of things. Friends, we must seek the voice of God before accepting the affirmation of people. Hophni and Phinehas gave a false validity this priest, these priests, these false priests, because the Hophni and Phinehas, you may have remembered when Pastor Ben read it last week, they were very, um, they were dirty. They were dirty. They were trifling. You would come to the church with your offering for God, and you put it in the pot. They, they, would, they would take it out of the pot from you, and, and God would never get the best part of your offering. Uh, your sister would go to the temple, uh, would go to, to worship, rather, and they would try or succeed at sleeping with her. That's Hophni and Phinehas. That's, the, that's Eli's sons. And, 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 and Hophni and Phinehas gave this false validity that because now we're getting the Ark of the Covenant, everything's all right because we're with you. We're the priests of God. But indeed, uh, they never asked God. And had they asked God, God would have told them about Hophni and Phinehas because they knew what Hophni and Phinehas were doing themselves. We must take the affirm- we, we sometimes take the affirmation of people over the word of God. Uh, another thing we sometimes do as believers and unbelievers, even unbelievers might do this, is we presume our purposes are God's purposes, not the other way around, not the other way around. We, we think that just because we want something, that must be what God wants. Especially when it's something that it seems like it's a no-brainer. Well, that person's an unbeliever, and certainly God will want me to go up against that person, and I will win. That's that's presuming our purposes for God's purposes. Verse 5 says that they celebrated. This is how we know that. They celebrated when the ark of the Lord came into the, the camp. And under the right circumstances, a celebration would have been appropriate. Uh... After all, the ark of the Lord was given to Israel as a physical manifestation of his actual presence of God. The ark was made of this, uh, this special wood, acacia wood or shatim wood you would see in the Old Testament. It was overlaid with gold. It was to be carried by the priests of the Lord as a special uh, thing, as a special, uh, not relic, but as a special artifact. And, and, had, and, and, and it had gone out before them in battle. Inside the ark were the tablets with the Ten Commandments on it, Aaron's rod, and manna in a jar. All of these things together represented the presence of the Lord, 
the, uh, in, in fact, the, and, and the cherubim of the ark, this, the, the top of the ark had pure gold, and, and they had molten cherubims, and they'd beat cherubims and you, you, out of them. Um, and the cherubim, you know what the cherubim are. The first time we see the cherubim are in Genesis after Adam and Eve sinned. And, and the cherubim were then placed after God uh, de- decided that no one could access the tree of life. And so now he put cherubim in the way with flaming swords. So what we know about cherubim is cherubim were there. They were angels there to guard the way of the tree of life. And here we see golden cherubim stretched out over the ark, facing each other with their wings. And, and they're looking down at the mercy seat, which is the top of the, the, uh, the golden place on the ark. And what it demonstrates is the cherubim are there to protect that one place that only God should be over the mercy seat. Only God. In fact, the the Ark of the Covenant was made so that those men and women, the people of Israel, could be sure to consult with God. What was interesting about this, this moment is they had had other moments where they had gone out to battle and lost. Uh, they had a moment like this with Moses. And, and, and in fact, Moses, this is when they were grumbling. You can find this in Numbers chapter 14. They were grumbling about, they were grumbling about uh, how all the, the wilderness was impacting them. And they said, you brought us out here to die and you brought us out here and we're not going to be able to, to go into the promised land. Uh, and, and they had opportunity to go into the promised land, but they were complaining and God was about to destroy them. Moses prayed. God says, all right, I've heard you. I'm not going to destroy them. Uh, but, but what we find is now Moses tells them, hey, God was about to destroy you. You guys have been uh, just um, not, not good, complaining, and God wants to destroy you. Now they say, well, hey, listen, we're sorry. We're sorry. We'll follow God. In fact, now we'll go up and do this battle that you want us to do. And, and Moses says, no, it's too late now. You cannot go. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had been made by then. And they said, we're going to go up to the battle. But Moses said, I'm not going out and neither can you take the ark. So they went up to battle and they lost because they thought that their will was God's will. It should have been. I mean, these were not the people of God they were going up against. They should have won, but they were presuming some things about God. Uh, and the cherubim over this, this place showed them that the ark was the place where they should have been consulting with God. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. Listen, when people act before we pray, when we move before we hear, when we presume that our purposes are God's purposes instead of the other way around, it leads us to a misdiagnosing of God's placement in our lives. That, that's what happens. And it may be something that sometimes we pass on to others. Let me, let me tell you what I mean here. In chapter 4, verses 19 through 22, we see that. Just after the report of the battle where Israel had gone out against the Philistines and they lost, they lost 4,000, uh, and then they lost... 30,000, and Eli and Hophni, excuse me, Hophni and Phinehas were killed. Uh, Just after the report of the battle came to Eli, there was someone who came from the field. He's coming to Eli, and he says, he says, um, Eli, your sons have been killed. And also, 
the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. And when he says that to Eli, Eli, the Bible says, is sitting on a, a, a chair. He's leaning back. And when he says that the Ark of the Covenant is gone and taken, Eli falls back. Now, he's 98 years old. He falls back. He's a heavy man, it tells him, and he breaks his neck. He dies. Eli is gone. The Ark of the Covenant is taken. And here's what happened in chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the Ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attended her, said to her, don't be afraid, you have born a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention. And she named the child, listen to it, Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband had died. And she declared, she actually said then out of her mouth, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Now that word Ichabod simply means no glory or where is the glory. And this woman, we don't have her name, but she makes a declaration because of the circumstances in her life, she makes a declaration that that the glory of God had departed from Israel. But her diagnosis, sometimes like our judgment of circumstances, is not because the glory is gone from us. It's not because God had left us. But it may be, maybe, could be, because we have acted before we prayed, moved before we heard, or presumed that our purposes were God's purposes. And in fact, this woman had such heavy circumstances. Yes, she died, but before she died, she passed on the hurt of her circumstances to her child. Her child would have to live with the, the idea that in his life, it, there is no glory. In glorious life, in in glorious you, that's who you are. That's that's what she named her child. And sometimes because we may miss God, we don't act in God's favor, or we misdiagnose a circumstance that other people have done, and we receive the hardship of it, we we tend to to misdiagnose God in our lives. We tend to misdiagnose that he's left us. We tend to misdiagnose that he doesn't love us anymore. We tend to misdiagnose that somehow we're not significant to him. That's what happened with this woman. She was a person of God. Eli was a person of God. These were all people of God. And I don't feel like we're too far from them. I I, I mean, I don't think we could judge them too too harshly. But it doesn't just happen with the people of God. It, It happens to people who don't belong to God as well. They act similarly. See, what happens is, when the Philistines victoriously captured the Ark of God, because that's what happened, they took the Ark to their city. They took it to Ashdod first. Then they took it to Gath, another city. Then they took it to Ekron. In each case, in each case, disease and panic broke out. In each case, disease and panic broke out because they sought to take God's presence. They sought to take God's artifact and make it their own. They put it at first at Ashdod with their place, with their God, Dagon. And when they put it there, 
Dagon, the next day they came, Dagon was fallen. And so they had to set their God back up, yeah. right? And, and then they, they left it again. And then Dagon, the next day they came in, Dagon fell again. He was fallen. This time, his hands and his head were cut off. Yeah. And, and, so they, and, and so not only that, they began to experience tumors in the city and, and rats. Some, some, some scholars say it might have been an early bubonic plague that they experienced, and they experienced it there. And so they sent the thing from Ashdod. They said, we got to get this thing out of here. They said, we're going to get it not from Ashdod. Let's take it to our people in Gath. They took it to Gath. You better be watching. Watch out who you get gifts from, right? (laughs) They took the thing from Ashdod to Gath. Now Gath begins to experience the same things, rats running around their city and, and, and tumors. Some people, some, some have said those tumors, and I don't know if this, I, I really, I can't really confirm one way or the other. Some have said those tumors, uh, or in some of your Bibles say emrods, are, uh, are, were hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids, which, well, you know, God is, that's not really, that's terrible, God. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I've heard some say that, but, but, but that's what they were experiencing. However, however humorous it might sound, they actually were dying. Some of the men and women were dying from this thing, right? Now they take it from Ashdod to Gath, and the people of Gath say, no, uh, we're going to take it to Ekron. And the people of Ekron know what happened in Ashdod, and they know what happened to Gath, and they say, these people are trying to kill us. That's their own people. They said these people are trying to kill us, but there it was in Ekron. And what they decided to do was they said, listen, Uh, We're going to get our priests and our elders together. The elders said, we're going to get rid of this thing. We got to, here's what you got to do. You got to, you got to make some golden rats, five golden rats and five golden uh, tumors, and you're going to send them back to Israel. Um, And they do so. And they say, we're going to send it back to Israel. They say, listen, I want you to uh, hook it up to two cows uh, who've, ne- who, who, who've never had a yoke on them. Uh, make sure that you take the, the, the baby cat, the calves away from them, probably so that they, they can make sure they're not focused on their, their mother and their, their calves and move straight ahead. And if it goes to the left to Beit Shemesh back in Israel, then we know that God has done this. They're God. And if it goes to the right, then we believe that it would have happened by luck, by chance. That, that's what they assume, right? Uh, they, they tried to manipulate this. They caught the, the, captured the ark of God. It somehow didn't work out for them. And so they now want to send it away. But let me tell you what. In truth, the people of Ashdod and Gath and Ekron, the Philistines, and the people, Israel, uh, Eli, Eli's daughter-in-law, Hophni, Phinehas, and the rest of the people of Israel, they both ran into something that we don't talk about much, but it's a very real thing in our midst. They both ran into what we would know today as the providence of God. The providence of God. Now, now most times when you hear about providence, you hear it in a positive way. Um, The providence of God is God's sovereign care and sovereign reign over all events, all events, good, bad, or indifferent. 
sinful events and non-sinful events. The Bible tells us God rules over all of it, over all events that ultimately lead us toward his own purposes. That's what the providence of God is. The providence of God's events, the providential events can either be favorable to us and unfavorable to us in a moment, but always in the end to the glory of God. And, and what, we, what, I'm, what I'm simply asking you to do today is consider honoring the providence of God. In fact, I would say it differently, honor the God of providence, because there are things that happen in our life, both good and bad, and God is over them all. There are things that God is doing, and as God does them, in fact, some things he does, we don't like them in the moment. Now, this is not just me talking. We see this throughout Scripture, right? You remember in Genesis where, where Joseph, here he is, 17 years old, and his brothers take him and throw him in the pit, and then they pull him out of the pit, and they sell him. And they don't see him for another about 20-some years until he's like almost 40 years old. And, and after 40 years, a famine just so happens to hit the land of Israel. And they have to leave the land of Israel and travel somewhere. They have to travel to Egypt. And they get to Egypt. And when they get there, they don't know this ruler in charge, but he knows them. That's Joseph. And now they're afraid when they find out it is Joseph. And Joseph says something that's startling to us, that's challenging for us. That if we, if we believe it, we know God is doing some work in our lives. He says, you don't have to be afraid of me because you meant that thing for evil, yeah, yeah. but God meant it for good. Yeah. And even though it would be hard, you'd be hard pressed to maybe get Joseph say, man, um, early on when he was in prison, yeah, yeah, this is God's will for my life. It, you'd be hard pressed to get him to say, man, this woman accused me of trying to rape her. Yeah, that was God's will for my life. And you'd be hard-pressed against me if you look at me and say, well, my life is exactly the way I wanted it. No, there's been some hard things in my life. There have been some hard things in your life over the course of your life, up to this week even, perhaps. And I want you to know that God has not missed any of it. Even the hard events in your life, God oversees them. And in his overseeing them, even if in the moment... They don't work out like you want them to. God is working it out for his good. This is why Paul makes the statement in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose. All things aren't good that happen to the people of God, but they work together for good. And I hope you know that today, that God is looking over you. He's watching over you. And whether you're the person of God today who loves Jesus or whether you're not a person of God, you need to know there's a, a providential God who's watching over everything. And if you're not a person of God, you should know that that providential God who's watching over everything is watching over things so that you can, he can make and orchestrate things in your life so that you can turn to him. That God loves you. He's kind and merciful when you watch him, when you listen to him, when you hear him. He's a God who cares about his people, and he cares about the people who aren't his. The Bible says it's not even his will that people who are not his should perish, but he wants everybody to come to him. 
and brought to repentance. That's what it says. The Bible says, teaches us that Jesus came and he came to save all the nations. I want you to know that that's the God of providence. It's not that everything will work out for your good in that moment, but everything will work out for his glory in the end. And if you, hook your, if you link your wagon to his, it will work out for your good. Yeah. That's our God. Yeah. He loves you. Uh, we don't always know why events aren't favorable or are favorable or not favorable, but I want you to know you have a God. Nothing escapes him. Nothing surprises him. And, 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 and let me say, this is not a, the easiest, um, you know, I thought it, 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 it wise not to go into uh, all of the details on this idea of providence because it's certainly a controversial doctrine because it, it does mean that God is orchestrating even some of the terrible events that we see. And we have to question whether he's good or not. And, 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 and if, you, if you walk with him long enough, you know, you know he, he is good. You know he is good. It's kind of like I remember watching, um, uh, uh, not Lord of the Rings, um, uh, C.S. Lewis's thing. Um, say it again. Chronicles of Narnia. Thank you. And, and, and I remember the, the young girl asked, uh, is he good? Talking about the lion, Aslan. Is he good? And the answer given to her was saying, no, you know, um, uh, he's not um, is he safe? Excuse me, that was the answer. Y'all know that, y'all know. Is he safe? And the answer given to her, you know, he, he, he's not safe, but he's good, but he's good. And that's what we know about our God. Like, everything doesn't work out for your benefit and my benefit. What it does is it works out for his glory. And what wound up happening with the Philistines is what, what we recognize is this was not because the people of Israel simply desired the ark back. It was because God knew where the ark was supposed to be. Yeah. And it was God who was working it out to make sure that the ark got back to the people that he chose yeah. to have it. Yeah. And so God, without any help from the people of Israel, caused events to happen where the people who weren't gods had to recognize that there's a God that's greater than us, and we need to try and get this thing away from him. Now, they said it happens by luck, by, by chance. It just might have happened. No, no, I just need you to know nothing just happens. Everything is under God's purview. And because it's all under his purview, it's going to all work out for his glory, and it can work out for your good. Here's what I know. Um, sometimes we wonder why, why is it that things work out the way they do? We wonder, you know, whether or not, um, you know, uh, things are going to work out for our good sometimes. And here's what I need you to know. Um, God is not like us. We're, we're, we're in time, and God sees so far beyond time. The, the, the Bible tells us his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But what you can know is that that God has orchestrated everything in your life to give you the best opportunity to build the best relationship with him in Jesus Christ. You know, um, I, I heard, I heard a, a preacher tell this story one time, and, and it, was, it, was a, uh, it made sense to me that he would watch the superheroes like Superman, um, Batman, and, and, and whoever you might have. And, and it was always crazy how Superman would be in a place where it looks like he wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work out for him. It, it looked like this was going to be a hard day for Superman. In fact, Superman might die today. And always, 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 
just when Superman was about to die or Batman or whoever it was, just when he was about to die, something always happened where Superman turned out to not die, where Superman, where Batman turned out to save the day, where Spider-Man turned out to do the thing he wanted to do. And, and he kept asking himself, why is it that this always happened? Why does Superman always get out of the jam he's in? Why does Batman always get out of the jam he's in? And he came to the conclusion, it's a conclusion that you and I can come to as well. It was in the script. Yeah. <laughs> it was in the script. And, and we knew that in the script, the writer had written it in that this superhero would live. And I want you to know that there are going to be some bad things that happen to you. There are going to be some tough things that happen to you. But the providence of God is watching over it all. And you know that he's going to get us to the end. Why? Because it's in the script. Yeah, yeah it is in the script. He who began a good work in you yeah. is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's in the script. And I want you to know the things that happen to you are not blind. God is not blind to. He sees them and he sees you and he's walking with you. Whether it happened two years ago, 20 years ago, or this week, he's walking with you. And sometimes we ask the question, why do things happen? Uh, how is this going to turn out, God? Uh, I, have a, I have a friend, he, he, um, he told me, and this, we were younger then, he, we were in our 20s then, but he told me uh, what his parents did to him. He said, um, he said, you know what, when I, when I turned 18, he said, my, my mom and dad, they started making me pay rent. And he anybody, parents, make you pay rent at 18? Yeah, there were, there were a few of you, right? He said, they started making you, me pay rent. And, and he was upset with them, right? He was mad at them because they started making him pay rent. And they, and they were asking a lot of rent, you know? And so he was like, man, I'm working. I'm, I'm not making a whole lot. I'm making some. You know, I'm trying to get married. I'm trying to do all of this. You know, they know this. And, and they're making him pay the rent. And he finally did the one thing, you know, sought to do the one thing he could do. He sought to move out because that's all you can do when your parent makes you pay rent. On the day that he moves out, his parents come to talk to him. And I suppose they talk to him about all the parental stuff that, that parents would talk to you about. And like, namely, I'm proud of you. You've been working so hard. But one of the things that they did was they handed him a check. And the check was the total of all the rent that he had been paying for the years that he had been there. And he was able to start his marriage off pretty decent because he had already paid into it. At the end of the day, when he moved out, his parents had already taken care of it. I want you to know your God is the same way. When you get to the end of time, all the things that you've felt pain you felt here, all the things that you've experienced here on earth, you need to know God has not missed anyone, any, any bit of it. And he's preparing you for the day when one day you will meet him. And he's preparing you for that day so that on that day you can be fulfilled and all that he has for you. That's the God we serve. He's a God of providence. He's looking over you. If you're experiencing something heavy now, just know that he's working it out for his glory, and you're good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a God who watches over us in sovereignty and care and wisdom. And Father, we don't always know what we're experiencing, but you know what we're experiencing. And Father, we pray for the people of God that we would be those who would, while we're here in this trusting place, Lord, this, this place where we're, we're supposed to be trusting you, Father God, we ask for your help to help us to do it, help us to trust you, help us to pray 
Help us to hear you before we move. Help us to take your word over the word of those who just simply affirm us, Father God. And Father, we pray that you teach us faith in that, God. And for the people who don't know you, God, I pray that you continue to reveal yourself in your providence. Continue to allow them to know that you love them, that you care for them, that you're looking for them to come to you, that you're drawing them, Father God. And Father, that the work that you'll start in them is a work that you will complete. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.